Anthony. Yes. I've got a concern about this episode. What's that? It's a little dicey. (laughs) (laughs) That's so bad. I know. You ready to roll? Uh, No, stop. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to Investigation Check. I'm Josh. And I'm Anthony. On this show, we talk about the culture and psychology of Dungeons & Dragons. Each episode, we'll take a different idea within the world of D&D and talk about it, ask questions, interview our friends and professionals, and just see what we can learn. Basically, we're making an investigation check within the world of D&D. In this episode, we want to talk about the dice. Mm. You know, they're a big part of D&D. Mm-hmm. Uh, we use them to roll up our characters, to make checks or saves, death saves. Um, we determine how strong our attacks are with them. You know, if you get frustrated with them, you might throw them across the room or put them in dice mm. jail or something like that. Uh, I see people fidgeting with them when they're waiting or listening. People take pictures of them. They even get them tattooed on their body. Yeah. Right. They're very emblematic of the game. Ooh, good word. And so I think we've made this observation and we just want to ask, what is it about the dice that makes them so iconic to the game? Yeah, good word. Yeah, I notice this obsession with dice too. And I wonder what's behind it. Like, what would D&D be missing if we didn't have dice? And I don't know, like maybe it's neat that we have a 20-sided shape or... Um, they're so unique in that way, but um, D&D has other paraphernalia and like, why is this our symbol? Yeah, it seems like to me, dice definitely hold the throne when you think about some symbol or some icon of the game. It's the dice. It's always the dice. It's always the dice. And so there's probably a lot to that. There's probably a lot of ideas behind that. And that's something that I would really like to look into. Yeah, let's check it out. So, Anthony, what do you think it is about the dice that makes them so, as you said, emblematic to the game? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I wonder if it has something to do with when you're using the dice, when you're pulling the dice out. You typically are using the dice when the DM calls for a check or you are making some sort of attack roll or a death save or something like that. But it's always these high pressure, really significant moments. You're not really using the dice too much when it's just sort of In the middle of role play, this sort of like loose and fluid moment in the game, it's always when it counts. It's always in like high pressure, high intensity moments. So I wonder if there's sort of like that conditioning to the dice that happens. Conditioning like like Pavlov's dog. Yeah, yeah, like like classical (laughs) conditioning. Yeah, like Pavlov's dog salivated at the sound of the bell. Do you salivate when you look uh, at your dice? I mean, I don't know. Have you ever barred my dice? Like, you, you might That's just nasty. get them a little bit slippery. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what about you? What do you think it is about the dice that makes them so iconic to the game? Okay, I think that the way that you can customize it uh, and also personalize the dice mm. make us really attached to them. So you can get sharp edges are rounded. You can get metal dice, wooden dice, acrylic dice. They can be etched or or painted numbers and all kinds of colors and designs. And uh, they could reflect you or your character. And that makes an attachment. So when I see those dice and it makes me think of my character and the time that we had in that campaign that one time. Yeah, I think you might be onto something. I got a new set of dice with my first character, Zaywin. But with my most recent character, Atticus, I never got a set of dice just for him. Hmm. And not that, you know, there's anything lacking in my character because I don't have dice for him. But it is interesting to look back at that set of dice that I got for Zaywin. They almost serve like a journal or some sort of like monument to that character. And I see them and I remember his story. And a lot of the times that I rolled those dice with him, 
a lot of pivotal moments in the story. So yeah, I, you might be onto something. Wow. Yeah, when I look over my sets of dice, it, it is like a journal. I, I remember those times and how I felt. So to help us explore this question and make sense of this observation that we have, again, I turned to Reddit to see what the global community had to say. Hmm. This time, though, um, as, as I'm going through my Reddit finds, instead of reporting back to you the three big things that I noticed, I actually kind of want to take you on a journey of how we got to this question. Ooh, story time. Yes. So back when we were getting ready to do the podcast and we wanted to do a promo, one idea that I had was to do like a little mini episode, like a five minute episode and take a question, ask people on Reddit, report back just to give people a taste of what the podcast would be like before it actually came out. Okay, I remember that. And the question that I wanted to ask was, do you ever fudge dice rolls? I thought it was a playful question and I thought that I would get fun answers back. Okay. That didn't happen. Oh, no. Yeah. People were livid. Yikes. Just even at the question, people were downvoting the post just because I posted it. People were criticizing. People were condemning people just for the idea of potentially confessing to fudging a dice roll. It was as if you had a disease or something if you fudged dice rolls. Yikes. Like people take that really seriously. Yeah. One DM actually said that he reached over the DM screen when he saw a player fudging dice rolls, removed the dice from him, gave it to another player across the table and revoked the privilege of rolling dice from the person who fudged their dice rolls. Wow. Not just for the game, for the entire campaign. No way. Seriously. It's like he lost total trust and confidence in that player. Yeah. It's like the person lost a part of their humanity or something oh like gosh. that. Yeah. <laughs> it was, it's the reactions were incredibly strong. One person of everybody who commented was like, yeah, I fudged a dice roll and they got downvoted all the way to the bottom. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so obviously there's something to it. There's something going on here. Like, why do people feel so strongly? Yes. So this led me to post another question, which was, what is it about the dice? Which I like that question because it's kind of open-ended and a little ambiguous. Yeah. But I liked the, the space that it gave for people to interpret it and kind okay. of weigh in in their own way. Okay, how did they interpret it? So some people said, it's fun. The dice make it fun, which good input, but it wasn't, Maybe the insight that I was okay. looking for. Yeah, give me more. Yeah. Some people kind of talked about the tension re and release that the DM calls for a check or you're making your attack or your save mm -hmm. or something like that. And you have the dice in your hand and you feel that tension and then you let the dice go on the table and then all of it's released and you know the outcome, right? Which I think feeds into what somebody else was saying was that it just has to do with the uncertainty of it. Um, other people were talking about personalization and personal investment, which is, I think, what you were getting yeah. at earlier. Another person was mentioning that it's cathartic to pick up dice and to roll, um, which kind of felt like a callback to episode two for us when we were asking, is it therapeutic to play D&D? &D? And some people were saying that it's cathartic. So maybe it's the, the dice rolling part that's cathartic. Hmm. Something about just physically rolling the dice. Yes. But there was one person who commented that I thought was really interesting and really got me thinking pretty heavily. One person said, it's gambling without money. You invest your entire virtual life on it, so you want to roll well. Ooh, so it's like the stakes are high. It's like this risk-reward thing. Yeah. It's remarkable to me that they use the word gambling, and that just completely governed the rest of my thinking and consideration for this episode. It drew my attention basically to the typical activity of gambling. And I wondered if there was maybe a similarity between rolling dice in D&D &D and maybe rolling dice in a casino. Wow, that's an interesting parallel. Yeah, 
gambling comes with, you know, thrills and pitfalls. And I wondered if this could be, you know, maybe why we get so caught up in rolling dice and why we've come to make them so iconic to the game. Okay, so what I'm hearing you say is that it seems like when you gamble, uh, what's thrilling is that there's a chance you could win something. So there's something you might gain, but then there's also this risk that you could lose something. And when you gamble, you put something on the line. Yeah, I think that's the typical way to think about this. Uh But the next person who commented uh, really changed a lot of my thinking on this topic. Okay. So from here, I turned my attention to DM Academy and I posted on that subreddit, is rolling dice addicting in D&D? Got a lot of great answers, but coincidentally, Atoli from episode one. Oh, Atoli. Yeah, she commented on my post without realizing that it was me. How cool. Yeah, I know. So here's what she said, and I thought it was so insightful and so helpful. She says, it feeds into the dopamine mechanisms for reward, exactly the same pathways as how gambling becomes addictive and feels exciting for many people. You're doing something, there's uncertainty and anticipation, and any successes will overwrite the failures, making you want to keep doing it more and more. So she goes on to say, I'm not saying that rolling dice is bad but that the action does trigger quote-unquote fun in the brain and gets most players more interested in it. Okay, yeah, that's a good distinction. Maybe it's not just that you're going to win something. There's actually a process going on in your brain that is, is releasing a chemical, and this, the process is like the same when you're rolling dice as whenever you're like in D&D and as when you're in a casino. Yeah, there's a parallel between the two in our brains. Even though the context and the setting and what's actually happening is very different, it seems like what's happening in the brain is very similar. She actually links to a study from a behavioral neuroscience journal. And I'll just sort of summarize the abstract for you. Basically, they said that usually when you think of gambling, you think that the idea of winning something is what drives motivation. Mm -hmm. But they said that what they have found through study is that it's not what you could potentially win. It's just the idea of unpredictability of the reward um, rather than the reward itself. So it's the unpredictability, it's the uncertainty of what is to come when rolling dice that's so addictive, if you will, uh, about D&D or gambling in a casino. So what you're saying is that I get more of a rush from the fact that I don't know what's about to happen and not just that I'm about to maybe win something or make it big. It seems to be that that could be a potential reason as to why the dice are so emblematic and we iconify the dice so much. Yeah, how crazy is it that these little like math rocks are creating this chemical reaction in our brains that makes us so want to do it over and over? These little things that you buy off Etsy are actually having massive implications in your brain. Oh my gosh. So I had the opportunity to interview um, a couple new friends, and I'm really excited to share those. Um, And we also have a really neat sponsor that we're going to get to. But before we do, we just want to clarify Uh, a few things before we keep going in this investigation check. Yeah, so at this point in the episode, we're making this connection between rolling dice and addiction, but I just want to be careful that we don't diminish like the severity of addiction or the painful experience that comes along with it a lot of times. So um, just to clear the air, like rolling dice is fun, and we're just noticing that there's a similar thing going on in our brains when we roll dice. I don't want to make light of addiction or the fact that there's some overlap between what's going on there and playing D&D. Well said. Josh, I want a new set of dice every single month, and I want them to be dice that nobody else has, 
and I want extra stuff to come in it that has not been made available yet. And I want to pay less every month than the total worth of the dice. Wow. Needy much? Yes, much. Well, you're in luck because Critical Dice, which is an online store, they have this subscription service called Endless Bag of Dice. That's exactly what I'm asking for. Yeah, you're in luck. And they even gave us a promo code. It's like they knew that you would need this very specific thing. Tell me the details of the promo code. It's Dice Check. That's the promo code. And they will give you a free month of dice. So if I use Dice Check right now, Mm -hmm. I get the first month for free. That's right. You just have to pay the shipping. Okay. And then after that, they will give you a new set of dice every month. I am in. Get it. So the sponsor that we just heard from, I actually had the opportunity to interview for this episode. Oh, cool. Yeah. So his name is Jason. I'm Jason from Critical Dice. I have an Instagram account uh, at Critical Dice, and I am an old school nerd and uh, seller of dice. And when I met him, I knew right away that he is somebody that's really fascinated and really deeply appreciates the dice. I, I really couldn't think of anyone better to ask about the question, what is it about the dice, than him. And so he and I had a really great conversation. And to kick things off, I asked him, why are you so enthralled with dice? Well, you know, it's almost hard to put into words, but the dice have this this element about them, this this uh, tactileness that are just they're, they're so much fun to play with. And on top of that, they're so iconic to the game that if someone's walking around or uh, with dice in their hands with all these different you know sizes and shapes and sides or you see someone with a D20, you immediately know that they're into Dungeons & Dragons or or another similar tabletop RPG. There's not really another use for this kind of thing. And so it it becomes this way to like kind of uh, signal other nerds that uh, you're you're nearby. Um, And so the the dice just have this wonderful just kind of feel to them. I I keep a set in my jacket pocket at uh, all times and I just kind of will reach in there and play with them and see if I can, you know, identify which uh, diet is by the shape of it and the feel of it. And it's kind of like my nerdy little uh, fidget spinner. Um, I was just going to say it's a fidget spinner. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, and they actually do spin pretty well. Um, the, the D10 is pretty uh, good about that. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, and also too, like the dice themselves have a really fascinating history. Um, yeah, so if you look back to... Uh, the research and the stories that have been written and uh, there's some really great stuff in art and arcana um, and a couple of other books. But when uh, Dave Arneson and Gary Gygax were creating the game, they were coming from wargaming and wargaming has always kind of used uh, a D6, a traditional die that you always think about for those things. In fact, you can look back to what's considered the first kind of wargaming manual Uh, called Little Wars, which was written by H.G. Wells, um, which is phenomenal, just incredibly fascinating, which is a different story, but even there, he's using a D6. And so as they're creating Blackmore, which is the precursor to D&D, they're still using D6s. And they kind of abandoned that idea after Arneson went to, uh, on a trip to the UK. In, In a store there, he found uh, this set of polyhedrons, uh, which included the D20, the D12, D8, D6, and the D4. Um, And he had never seen anything like that, but thought that, hey, this could be really great and be used for our game. So he bought some sets, took them home, and 
they decided that this was really great because now you have different ranges of probabilities that you could use to uh, to simulate different kinds of scenarios as opposed to uh, just a D6. Uh, and even the problem with just a D6 is if you add more D6s, then you don't get the same range. You're actually creating a bell curve of where things are going to be more likely to be in the middle. And so when you have something that can do one through eight and all the options are even, it is really great for their game. And so uh, the company that made them actually was, uh, uh, was called Creative Publications and they created these dice as a teaching uh, tool uh, for mental math to teach them what a platonic solid was and in uh, math games. And so they decided to use that. They really wanted the D20, but they said, well, we could either unpackage every single package we order from them and load it into the box, or we can use all of them. So they kind of revamped the whole game because Arneson saw these, these dice sitting on a shelf. That's fascinating. And so I, so I, I heard you, I, I like that you kind of said, if you're wearing a shirt that has a D20 on it, it's sort yeah. of like a signal to other nerds. Like as soon as you said that, I thought of like the bat signal or something. It's like, it, there's something triggered in, in like in your mind or, and you're like, Whoa, wait, do you play D and D? Cause there's really, why else would you have that shape or that icon on your shirt? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's, and it's become the kind of the, the main way to say, Hey, I like D and D and, and it, actually if you don't want to use the D 20, it's, you're really hard pressed to figure out what to do. Uh, other than that, you can maybe use a dragon, but like then it's like, well, is that Game of Thrones or sure, is sure. that Lord of the Rings? Like it's it, it, no, nothing else really kind of uh, puts your fandom on blast, uh, you know, broadcast it out uh, like a D20 does. So is it, would you say that's what makes the dice so iconic to the game? Like, you know, there's there's something about dice that just really captures the essence of D&D. Would you say that's what it is or or, or do you think maybe there's something else, too? Oh, yeah. No, I, I think that that's why it's the icon, because when you really boil it down, ultimately, dice is the only thing that you need. Like, mm. it's the thing you really can't play without. Like, if, if I was stuck on a desert island and uh, I had a set of dice, I could still play D&D because I, at this point I have almost all the rules memorized in my head. I understand you know, how to create monsters and how to make them more and less difficult. I can use a stick in the sand and create a character sheet. But if I didn't have a set of dice with me, I would be really hard pressed. Mm. So it's the one thing that you really kind of have to have. And if you let go of that, that way of randomly generating numbers, then you're really doing something else then. Then you're just storytelling, which is fine, but it's, it's not really what we think of as Dungeons and Dragons. So it is like the quintessential, the one tool that you, that you need. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, I was reading a, an NPR article a while back. They talked about uh, prisons uh, where people will play Dungeons and Dragons. And that was kind of a mixed bag because there are some prisons where they encourage it because they're creating these social bonds. They're, every time they, they are spending time thinking about Dungeons and Dragons or creating character or playing, they're not fighting they're not getting into gangs. They're not trying to escape, you know, this kind of stuff. But there's this strong association with gambling and dice that some of them will, will bar it. And the article goes into the different ways they've tried to simulate a D20 role or other kinds of things because when the prison took away dice, they're like, well, what do we do now? Like they didn't take away the books. They didn't take away pencils. They didn't take away character sheets. They took away dice. And that put everything to a halt. 
that's really fascinating. You know, going back to your desert island example, could you imagine if you drew your character sheet in the sand and then high tide came and washed it away and you just couldn't remember your modifiers or something like that? <laughs> well, well, that's what we call failing a death save. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> From here, I shared with him our curiosity about the similarity of rolling dice in both D&D and gambling. And I asked him if the parallel between these two could be what it is about the game that keeps people coming back for more. Well, it certainly is possible, but I don't typically think of it in those terms. Like I just got to roll some dice because yeah, I'll play with my dice in, in like, you know, my jacket pocket or something. But I, I, I think that, you know, maybe there is something to that because if you think about it, you go back in history, you have uh, this long centuries long association of dice and gambling and there must be a reason for that not just portability because their cards are are portable too so i i wouldn't be surprised to find out that there's some kind of chemical uh brain reaction happening with that um because that would kind of feed into that thing i actually i was traveling really recently from a, a gaming convention and i had put a bunch of extra dice um sets in my carry-on luggage because I was overweight for my my uh, check bag. And so I go through the, the security check and they flag my bag and I'm like, okay, well, I think I know what this is. And they pull me aside, they open up the thing and the guy looks at me and goes, you a gambling man? Because my di- my thing is just full of dice. <laughs> and I'm like, nah, dude, Dungeons and Dragons. He's like, oh, I've got a co- coworker who plays it. That's awesome. And then he's like, oh, whatever, go on, you're, you're fine. So, you know, even when... <laughs> the dice looks super weird. People's first reaction or thought a lot of times is, well, gambling. But I think there might be some other elements too when it comes to to this because I should hope that people keep coming back to the table to play D&D because of excellent storytelling and because you get to pretend to be someone else and you get to work out issues and problems and even make moral choices with low stakes and helps you develop as a person. But I think that there is something special about the die because even if you were to replace the dice with like a deck of cards, you know, and just shuffle them up and just turn the card over and that's your role, it's not the same because it feels like the future is already set. You know, you don't know what the future is, but it feels like, well, the next card is going to be the next card no matter what happens, even though I don't know what it is. And so when you're rolling those dice and they're tumbling and scattering across the table, there's this element of anticipation patient that sets you on edge and yeah. the whole table is like focused on that role and so I, I think that that does have a lot to do with it but that would be interesting to kind of follow through and investigate see now why I was so excited to interview Jason. Yeah, I really do. And he even touched on like the little thing about the chemicals in the brain. Yes. That was cool. It was like foreshadowing, but unintentional. Yeah. You know what I really loved about what he said? He said he showed how the dice are literally the thing that you need in the game. You can have knowledge of the rules uh, and you can have something to track your stats on. But unless you have something to like generate a random outcome, you actually can't play D&D. They are indispensable to the game. Literally. Yeah. They're the one thing that you have to have. I even said to him, don't you still need other people to play D&D? <laughs> <laughs> he said, if you're on a desert island that long, you can probably come up with some imaginative other players. <laughs> <laughs> what did he see? So I really loved when he was talking about the D20, that shape or that icon being the thing that signals to other people 
that you enjoy and play D&D. But the way that he talked about it, I really appreciated was basically saying it in the way that it's the shape that we own. It's like the icon that we as a D&D community own. It's like our thing that really nothing else has. Maybe other tabletop games use D20, but as far as I know, it's predominantly D&D that reps that D20. And so it's like our presentation to everyone else, our shape that we own that signals who we are and what we play. It's like a banner that we all gather around. Yeah, that's right. It's like, I love what he said, it broadcasts our fandom to everyone. Yeah, that's I love that imagery. It's a pretty unique symbol. remember Ashley from episode two? Yeah, I love her. So I reached out to her because I knew that this conversation was going to start veering again into the psychological, neurological space. Nice. She introduced me to somebody named Megan, who is brilliant when it comes to uh, neurological studies. They actually call her the neuro nerd. I love that. So who better to interview than her? Hi, my name is Megan. I am a graduate student at Northwestern University. I specialize in child and adolescent counseling with a focus on neurotherapy and EEG biofeedback. So I wanted to ask her specifically what is going on when somebody is rolling dice and see if we could learn how that is parallel to somebody rolling in D&D. So to get things started, I asked her to explain to me what goes on in the brain when you roll dice. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, what is really interesting in behavioral addictions like gambling um, and not so much with like substance addictions with like cocaine or crystal meth or anything like that is the dopamine reward is higher in the brain when the um, outcome is unknown. So you have that anticipation and then you have the reward. And what's fascinating about it is um, in the brain, there's two pathways that branch off from the limbic system, which is your emotional brain. Um, so uh, the first one goes towards the prefrontal cortex, and that's where you get motivation. That's the, you know, like, it's my turn, you know, I'm getting ready to go. And then the other one goes towards the basal ganglia, which is towards the top of your brain. And that's where you get action selection, like, um, okay, I'm going to go now. So those are the two main pathways that dopamine takes from your limbic system to eventually the outcome. So you're saying that it has to do with the uncertainty of what's coming and less about maybe what is actually happening when you're rolling the dice. So it's, it's more about the unknown and less about mm -hmm. maybe being in a casino or playing a specific kind of game or having money tied to the outcome. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so I actually was thinking on this for a while and in traditional gambling, you have the six sided die. So let's say you're playing craps and there's only so many outcomes that can come from that one six-sided die. Whereas in D&D, you have the D20, you have so many more variables. You're on a higher uh, spectrum of outcomes that uh, could happen. So it could definitely turn into something where you're like, how well am I going to do or how badly am I going to fail? So are you saying that maybe like the complexity because there's um, what, 14 more numbers that could be revealed, you know, if they're just doing a D6 when you're playing craps, um, mm -hmm. and there's a D20 and D&D, &D. Are, are you saying that there's more complexity or like there's more inside of that? Oh, you look at you, little neuroscientist. <laughs> um, <laughs> absolutely, yes. 
Um, and it's like that anticipation is even stronger, you know, wow. like I, the, of the unknown. It's that dopamine dump. It's um, so much more rewarding regardless because you're going to keep playing, you know, you have all night, <laughs> right? And your character is going to keep growing and um, you're going to look forward to um, experiencing that with your friends, you know? That's really interesting. So could you see there being a correlation between what's happening in somebody's brain when they're gambling, like they're in a casino, they're putting money down on the table and they're putting all of their, you know, trust in the dice. Um, could that be correlated to what somebody's doing when they're playing D and D and they're putting their trust in like the character that they've spent time creating and writing their backstory for and role-playing for months or years? Oh yeah. Uh, so the dopamine rush that you get, we call it Dr. Feelgood. Uh, so the more you get it, the more you crave it. And so in addiction, you're not so much chasing um, the high necessarily, you're chasing not needing it anymore. So the lack of needing to um, do this action or take this drug. Dr. Feelgood, the more you do it, the more you want it. So is it almost like the further you go in, the longer it takes you to come out? Like if you are playing D&D or if you're gambling or something for a year, would it take you a year to not want that anymore? Or like if you're playing D&D for three years or gambling for three years and it would take you three years to not want it anymore? Not necessarily. I think it varies individually, but um, the general theory is it takes about a year of abstinence for you to go back to being able to enjoy normal pleasure. So um, it's like recircuiting your brain. It's um, think of like a, a, this is kind of a very basic analogy, but um, say an earthquake happens and it takes out a highway. Well, then um, you can either reconstruct the highway or you can build access roads around it. So the brain works in much the same way. Hmm. That's interesting. So you're telling me that once somebody starts playing D&D, it takes a year for them to get back to normal? <laughs> so, you, so they're no longer jonesing for more D&D? Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> That's funny. Maybe we should have like, like uh, after a year campaign, you should like let your mind go to rest for a year and not play D&D. Just, yeah, just kind of like re reset and like restabilize your neurochemicals or something like that. Yeah, go to D&D rehab. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We joke, but there might actually be an industry for that. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I need to start a, a nonprofit or something. <laughs> there you go. There you go. <laughs> At this point, I brought up the idea of dice being so iconic to the game and asked her if this neurological reaction to rolling dice in D&D could be a contributing factor to our love for the dice. And here's what she said. Yes, I know. <laughs> okay. Um, I can certainly see it for because some people are more likely to become addicted to things than other people. That's just part of their personality, part of their biological makeup. But um, that's like could be said for anything else. Some people they can have two drinks and be satisfied for the night, or you know they're a teetotaler, sloshed, you know, from you know the moment they walk into a bar. Mm -hmm. But um, when it comes to D and I think you mentioned like the social aspect. There's a community involved, and so you have the dice rolling and the reward and the, you know, the whole anticipation, anticipation process. Um, but I wouldn't say it's as dangerous as some other types of addiction. I for sure. For sure. Um, it's kind of, it's like a, health, a healthy addiction. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. I like about that. It. <laughs> yeah. 
And we um, did ask a question in, a, in, a, in an episode before, is it therapeutic to play D&D? And the, the answer that we came to is yes, it is therapeutic to play D&D, but don't replace it for actual therapy. So, um, yeah, 100%. so yeah, maybe this is getting at what you're saying that D&D is a healthy uh, hobby. Yeah, um, when it comes to the therapeutic aspect of it, anything that causes you clinically significant impairment or distress is when it's not a good addiction. It's um, detrimental to your well-being. Mm-hmm. But in D&D, where you you know communicate and you're having fun and it's not make, taking away from you living life on life's terms, uh, it's not consuming you. You're just... It's something that you think about a lot because it's fun and you get a lot out of it. The you got friendship and you're watching your character evolve and develop and grow. That certainly is what I would call healthy. <laughs> yeah. So you're saying that it it could be the reason that it's addictive, but also maybe not because it's there's like individual thresholds for what the dopamine is doing, uh, mm-hmm. like in each person's brain. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. That's interesting. Well, she definitely lived up to her name of the neuro nerd. She had so much to say about what's happening in the brain when we're rolling dice. She definitely did. What did you hear? I really loved her description of what's going on in the limbic system. Okay. But just to fast forward toward the end, um, you know, earlier we were connecting addiction and rolling the dice in D&D. Right. And I thought she followed up on that really well because there's this question in my mind, like, what's the connection there? Maybe like, where's the line even if I know that I'm prone to addictive behavior? Yeah. And she said, whenever you're experiencing clinically significant impairment or distress. Yeah. And that's just really helpful for me to say, okay, gauge my life. Is D&D taking over my life? Okay, I'm not experiencing that. So I think it's a green light. There's almost like a linear progression. Like you can be really into it and it doesn't take away from your well-being or your mental health. But then just like anything, it can become too much and encroach in that space. And then it becomes unhealthy. Yeah. Yeah. What did you hear in that interview? <clears throat> I really love that she started talking about the difference between a D6 in gambling and a D20 in the game. And she actually said that, be- if I understood this right, because there's more numbers on a D20, that the dopamine rush that we could be getting would actually be stronger or more intense because there's 14 more numbers that it could land on. Yeah, like a higher spectrum of outcomes is what she said. Like different shades of possibility. Yeah. It just blows me away because when we started this, I thought maybe there's a correlation. But it seems like where we're going to is there's definitely a correlation. And not only that, but there's actually the potential that D&D could have a stronger release of dopamine. And I just didn't see that coming. Next time we need to talk about D percent. A hundred compared to 20. (laughs) So Josh, what did you learn during this investigation check? I learned that we are hardwired to enjoy the unknown. Okay. And I don't know, just as kind of like the mental health angle, I thought, in the same way that you never know what a day is going to hold when you get up and just sort of give it your best, 
the same thing happens when I'm rolling the dice. It's yeah. like uh, the only reason it's random is because I don't know exactly my own strength and what that will do to this little rock that I'm throwing. So um, it encourages me to like just roll the dice, you know, to actually go for it, to see what happens. And something about my brain is actually wired to help me to just try to yeah. just go for it. And I think that's part of why that I enjoy D&D so much. But it's also like a reminder. Hey, even though I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, like I can go for it. Yeah. And uh, it could be exciting. Yeah. And I know you, you're somebody who likes to plan and you have goals and you track your time and you set priorities and you're very disciplined with that. But it doesn't matter because life will still throw you a curveball and the dice will still give you ones. Right. A hundred percent. Yeah. So they mirror real life in that way. Yeah. But it could still be good and exciting. Yeah. Ones are where some of the best stories come from. Yeah, it really is. What did you learn? As I'm thinking about what I learned, I'm recalling back to the very beginning of the episode and where our investigation check started, which was the shock and awe factor of fudging dice rolls. Yeah. Because we thought this was a cute question, but people reacted really strongly to that. And in the moment, I thought, this is way over the top. Calm down. You're just talking about fudging dice rolls. But now I see that. You're not just asking, do you fudge dice rolls? You're asking, are you compromising this sacred part of the game? And are you taking away the very essence, really, of the randomness and the uncertainty and the excitement of D&D? That's what you're doing. You're compromising the game. And so, yeah, I think I get it now uh, why people reacted so strongly to fudging dice rolls. It all comes back to the beginning. I like how you tied it in. We hope that you enjoyed listening to this podcast as much as we enjoyed making it. Big thanks to everybody who helped contribute to this episode. Thank you to Megan and everybody on Reddit. And thank you to Jason for both being our sponsor and an interview. We release new episodes on the first of the month. So if you want to hear more before the next episode, you can head over to our Patreon page for free bonus content. The bonus content from the podcast will always be free. But if you liked to support this podcast, you're welcome to opt into one of our Patreon support tiers. We also love connecting with you all on social media. You can check us out on Instagram. Our username is at Investigation Check. And if you like our podcast, it would mean a lot to us if you'd give us a quick rating or review on whichever podcasting app that you use. A great review and a five-star rating would go a long way. Finally, be sure to subscribe to this podcast so you're notified as soon as each episode is released. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Would you ever get a D&D tattoo of any kind? Yeah. Well, no. No. <laughs> yeah, no, 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 no. Yeah.